For those of us that we haven't gotten a chance to meet one another yet, my name's Phil Nauer. I'm the campus pastor at Echo Community Church, and on behalf of our entire team, I want to welcome you and I want to thank you for choosing to come and worship together with us here at Martin's East on Easter Sunday morning. It's a great day for us to be together. Uh, Easter has a special significance to me personally, and I know to many of you in the room it does. I am acutely aware of how much of a mess my life was before that I met Jesus. And I have been forgiven of so much, and because of that, I love him so much. And so I'm humbled and honored to be able to just tell you the story this morning of who Jesus really is and give you a chance to hear that story. Some of you will hear it again, and that's okay. Some of you might hear this for the very first time, and that's okay too. I just want you to really tune in this morning and, and just listen to, listen to the story of who Jesus is, and then you get to decide the beauty of Jesus. You get to decide what you want to do about who you think he is. He doesn't force you to make a decision, doesn't force you to believe in him, doesn't force you to accept the story as it's presented to you. But my role this morning is simply that I want to present to you the facts of who Jesus was as recorded in the Bible and give you an opportunity to decide what you want to do with who he is. So um, the, the passage of scripture I want to read to you this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, bonus, <laughs> bonus question. That's our bonus question theme music, by the way. <laughs> bonus question. Who wrote 1 Corinthians? Does anybody know? Paul, very good. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It's a letter that he wrote to Christians. And uh, in that letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, he writes this. He says, let me now remind you. And that's important because there's a lot of us in the room this morning who have already made a decision to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We've experienced the new life in him. And I know some of us think, oh, I'm going to hear the same story again. There is nothing wrong with that. That story never loses its power and it never gets old. And it's okay. Sometimes we need to be reminded of things we already know, right? If you've been married for any length of time, you understand that sometimes you just need to be reminded of stuff you already know. <laughs> Let me remind you now, the Bible says, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Jesus Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. So if you want to follow... If you want to follow along in your notes, there's some notes inside uh, of your bulletin. They're very brief. That's good news this morning. They're very brief. But the, it starts off by saying there's a little part where you can fill in the blanks along with me where it says, the good news is that Jesus died for our sins and was buried and was raised from the dead the third day. That's the good news. I can't make it any more simpler than that. That's how Paul made it. The good news is that Jesus died, but the story didn't end there. He was buried. This was not some conspiracy. He wasn't in a coma. He didn't just pass out. He not only died, he was buried wrapped in linen that hardened like concrete. He was clinically dead. But he was raised from the dead the third day, I've been in the tomb. I was there a month and a half ago. I went in the tomb. I looked all over the tomb. I saw a lot of things, didn't see a body. 
There is no body in the tomb. They have not yet found his body. Our Savior is risen from the dead and he's alive today. So here's the big question, though. Here's the biggest question for all of us this morning. Do you believe Jesus is really who he says that he claimed to be? Do you believe that Jesus really is who he claimed to be? That's the big question. Do you believe the story as it's written? Do you believe he is who he claimed to be? We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. I'm going to ask you again, who do you think he really is? But I want to tell the story first. So um, it's not going to take long to tell the story this morning. Here's what I ask today. As much as it's possible, I don't want to be overly rigid and inflexible. As much as it's possible, let's not have a whole lot of moving around. If it's an emergency, obviously, please go attend to whatever your emergency is. But as much as possible, let's, let's pay attention. Let's be alert. Let's keep our eyes and our ears and our minds sharp. Let's, let's really engage in this story because for many people in this room, this is going to be the most important 15 to 20 minutes of your life. And I don't want you to miss an enti- any detail on this. I, I, I want to tell you the good news. There's three main components of the good news. The problem, the solution, and the action. So let's talk about the problem first. Here's the problem. The problem is that everyone has sinned and fallen short of Jesus' glorious standard. That's the problem. Everyone has sinned. And you might think, well, what, what is sin? Sin is breaking God's laws. God created us, and God has a certain way of living, a certain sets of rights and wrongs. And every time we break one of those, whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally, knowingly or unknowingly, it's called sin. It's falling short of the standard. Jesus set a standard because he came and took on the same body you and I have. And he faced the same temptations that we have, but he didn't sin. He set a standard. Sin is falling short of his standards. Well, Pastor, really, who, who sinned? Even the good, all have sinned. Well, even the morally good people, even the Mother Teresa's and the Pope and the morally good people. Yeah, the Bible says there's nobody righteous, not even one. The Bible also says that if we claim we've not sinned, we are kidding ourselves. The Bible has no effect on us and the truth doesn't live inside of us. We're living, essentially, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. We're living in a world that's not realistic. Everybody sinned, even the morally right people. In fact, the Bible says even if you follow all the rules in the Bible, if you don't accept Jesus, that doesn't make you right with God. If you follow, in fact, the Bible says the rules are just there to show us how sinful we really are. If we weren't sinful, we wouldn't need rules. The laws are just there. To remind us, we're naturally going to want to do our own thing. And we need something to remind us of how we should live. But even if we just do all that stuff, if we don't accept Jesus for who he really is, just being good morally isn't enough. Sin is a huge problem. Why is it a problem? Well, because there's consequences to breaking any law. If you go out here and get a speeding ticket on Pulaski Highway, there's consequences. Now, for some of us, we think, well, it's not that big of a deal. I can pay the fine. I'll take the points. But you understand that in our legal system, the state and federal laws, when you break a law, there's consequences if you get caught and you get convicted and all that other stuff. But there are consequences. But the consequences in our system vary based on what law you broke. You know, we're going to treat someone who murders somebody and someone who drives 75 and a 55 a little bit differently, right? There's different consequences. There's different penalties. But none of us would argue the fact that, yeah, we understand why there's consequences for breaking the law. Well, God's law operates the same way. God says there's a way to live. And I'm going to let you know what it is. And and, and if you live that way, it'll be well. But if you break my laws, there's consequences. Now, in God's legal system, every law that you break has the same penalty. Every single law carries the death penalty. 
Well, pastor, that's cruel. Not if God tells you up front what the penalties are. Does it make me cruel to tell my kid that if you, if you don't come and sit down in this chair right now, you're going to time out? Does it make me cruel if I put him in time out? No, it makes me a good dad. <laughs> God tells us up front, there are penalties to sin. Every single sin carries a death penalty. Now, that's a problem. Because let's say I, I decide I can pay the fine. Okay, I'll pay. I'll just, can I just pay the penalty for my sins? Well, how many times have I sinned? I don't know. A lot. How many lives do I have to pay at most? I got one. I'm not a cat. I don't have nine. I'm, I'm a Phil, and Phil has one. Do you understand the problem here? Well, didn't God expect sacrifices from animals? Well, that didn't save anybody. And there aren't enough animals to be populated to cover one animal for every sin, for every human being ever. This is a huge problem. Do you understand the problem here? The problem is we all stand guilty of a crime that we don't have the ability to pay the sentence for. It's a huge, huge problem. Well, are we doomed? Well, yes and no. We're doomed if we think that there's some way that we can get out of this or that we can just make things right with God in and of ourselves because the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. The gift, however, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So sin, sin brings with the penalty of death. The other thing sin does is the, Isaiah, Isaiah 59 two says sin cuts us off from God. This is a huge problem. We're cut off from God and we've got a death sentence hanging over us. So we're doomed if we think there's anything we can do about it. But on the other hand, we might not be doomed if there's a solution. We might not be doomed. Can I suggest to you that there is a, a possible solution here? Let's talk about that. We've talked about the problem. Let's talk about the solution. Because I'm the type of person, don't bring me a problem without a solution. Don't just come to me and say, this person's not getting along with this person or this thing. That's fantastic. You know, bring me a solution. You know, I don't want to just sit around and talk about problems. I don't have any more hair to lose. Let's talk... If you have, I don't have any, I didn't have much to start with, but what I have is gone. It's long departed. Let's talk about the solution for a second. Who, who or what would possibly qualify to be a solution to this huge problem? You have to have a couple prerequisites here. If anybody is going to solve this problem of sin in my life, first of all, they have to be sinless. Because if they have the same sin that I do, they need the same solution I do. Right? So this person's got to be sinless. Second of all, if death is the penalty and death is what God needs to satisfy, then this sinless whoever has to die, has to be willing to die. Thirdly, this person who dies has to be, God must be willing to accept their death as a payment for me. God has to be agreeable to this whole arrangement. It's not enough just for a sinless person to have to die in my place and say, I'd like to pick up Phil's tab. God has to say, I will agree to accept this sinless person's payment for this sinful person's debt. And then the last part of it is, is that if that all falls into place, then I have a role in this. I have to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to plea out here. Judge, I accept. I accept what you're saying. No more defense. I was doing 75 and a 55. I was doing life my own way. I accept my guilt. I also accept that what I deserve is death. But you know what, I want to pay the fine, except I don't have it in my wallet. I want to present this man's pain. To you, will you accept that on my behalf? All those four things have to fall in place for there to be a solution. If any one of those things isn't in place, there's no solution. We're doomed. I want to tell you this morning, there is exactly one solution. 
And it's a perfect solution. And it's not a what, it's a who. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the risen Savior, who is alive and well and lives inside of everyone else. He is the solution. The Bible says this in John 3, 16, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. We didn't take his son, God gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. So here's the question. Does Jesus qualify to be the solution? Was he sinless? Did he die? Did he raise from the dead? Did God accept it and will I apply it? Those are the questions. Jesus lived a sinless life, my friend. It says in the book of Hebrews, we have a high priest named Jesus Christ who was alive on earth and took on our body, he was tempted in every angle, in every arena, in every way that you and I are. The difference between Jesus and you and me is that he never sinned. He lived a sinless life. Did Jesus die? Jesus died. Here's what the Bible says. Luke chapter 23 says it this way. Pilate called together all the teachers and the religious leaders. And brought all the people in and he announced his verdict. He said, you brought this man, Jesus, to me a short time ago, accusing him of leading a revolt in the city. He says, I have examined him thoroughly in your presence on all of these charges and I find nothing wrong with this man. He is completely innocent. You need to understand Jesus was not convicted of a crime based on evidence. He could have at any moment stopped the whole thing and appealed to the legal process, but Jesus kept his mouth shut and let the whole case proceed. Pilate said, I found nothing wrong with this man. So rather than kill him, I'm going to flog him and release him to you. But the people rose up with one voice, the Bible says, and they said, kill him, crucify him and release to us Barabbas. Barabbas was a guilty man who was in prison for leading an insurrection and a revolt among the people. And Pilate didn't want to do it. But they rose louder and louder. And the Bible says he came back to them a third time. And he said, again, I ask you, what has this man Jesus done wrong? He's done nothing wrong. So I will flog him and release him to you. But the people raised their voice again and wouldn't back down. So the Bible says in Luke chapter 3 that Pilate eventually backed down and gave in to what the people asked. He released to them Barabbas. And the Bible says in Luke 23 that he turned Jesus over to them to do with him as they wished. The story continues in Luke 23. They put the cross on Jesus and they led him to the place of the skull with two other criminals, one to be crucified on his right and another to be crucified on his left. The Bible says while he was nailed to the cross, the people mocked him and they spat upon him and they said things like, if you really are who you claim to be, if you really are the chosen one, you really are the Messiah, then prove it to us again by bringing yourself down from the cross. Little did they know that he was proving to them that he was the Messiah by staying on the cross. And there he hung with one on his left and one on his right and a sign fastened above him that says he calls himself, he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And as they mocked him, one of the criminals hanging on his right looked to Jesus and joined in the fun. And the criminal says, if you really are the Messiah, the chosen one of God, Then save yourself and us too while you're at it, records Luke in Luke chapter 23. But the other criminal hanging on Jesus' left gets into the grill of the guy looking across to him and he says, have you no understanding who this man is? That criminal became the first convert when he said, we hang here because we are guilty. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he looks at Jesus and he says, will you remember me 
when you get to where you're going in heaven and Jesus says, I tell you the truth today, you'll be where with me. In paradise, and then the Bible says some crazy things as Luke continues to begin to happen. It says they hung there from nine until noon and then at noon. It says the sun lost its light. Became very dark. And from noon until 3, Jesus hung there on the cross. And then at 3 p.m., the the veil in the temple tore from the top to the bottom. Jesus looked up to heaven and he said to his father, he said, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And the Bible says in Luke 23, at that point he breathed his last. He was clinically dead there on the cross. The story ends interestingly. If you read the end of the story in Luke chapter 23 where it talks about Jesus' death, it says... When the people saw what had happened, they left, and there's a word attached to it that's different from, it says they left sorrowful. The Roman man in charge of his execution, Luke records, says the following. When he says when he had seen everything, he had seen all the evidence, he also had to wrestle, who was Jesus? And he comes up with a statement, he says, truly, that man that I just killed was the son of God. In fact, he was probably thinking about a few moments earlier when Jesus probably looked him and the others crucifying him in the eye saying, Father, forgive them. They're just doing what they're told to do. They don't understand. They're doing their job. They don't understand. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I bet he had never heard that in all the times. That that Roman legion specialized in executions. That's what they did. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. So Jesus died. Was Jesus buried? Well, the story continues in Luke 23. A man named Joseph, who was a good man and an upstanding man. He, he was from Judea. He lived in a town called Arimathea. He was actually part of the ruling council that voted on Jesus' uh, in this kind of kangaroo court scenario that Jesus went through in the chapters preceding. The Bible says that Joseph didn't approve of the way that they did Jesus. And he went, he was a wealthy man, well, because he had a private tomb that had just been newly constructed that no one had been put in. There's only a few hand, there's only two that they found with, Uh, hand-carved tombs within a stone's throw of where the the skull is. And he went to Pilate, and he asked Pilate's permission to have Jesus' body. Joseph went, and Joseph of Arimathea was the one who took Jesus down from the cross. The Bible says he wrapped him, Luke chapter 23 says, wrapped him in a a wide linen sheet. And he took him, and and the Bible's pretty specific. He put him into a new tomb that had been hand-carved. It wasn't some natural outcropping in the rock. It was hand-carved tomb. He put him in there. The ladies followed along. And when they saw where Jesus was placed in the tomb, they went home and got the spices ready. This happened on a Friday afternoon, and a stone was rolled in front of the tomb to seal it. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Beautiful thing is the story doesn't end there. The best thing about Luke chapter 23 is it's followed by Luke chapter 24. Early Sunday morning, those same ladies that had gone home to get the spices ready, as their custom was, returned to the tomb prepare Jesus's body. And when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. The several ton stone had been rolled away and they went inside and found it empty. And as they, it says they were in, they were bewildered, the Bible says. And then two beings show up in brilliant clothing and they were terrified as you and I would be. And the angels said to the ladies, the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, why are you looking for a living person where dead people go? 
They said, this man is not, the person you seek is not dead. He's alive, just as he said. Don't you remember all the times he told you the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of men, and he will be crucified, and he will be buried, but on the third day, he will raise again to life. They said, that's where he is. Now go and tell everybody. And the ladies went and told everybody. There are some skeptics and some believers. History hasn't changed. Some people believe, some didn't. And the story continues a few verses on in Luke chapter 24, where it says that all of his disciples were together in a room with the doors and the windows locked because of fear for the Jews, because they knew that they might be next. And they're there with the doors and the windows locked, and Jesus himself appears in the room while they're there. Amazing. And he addresses them Head on. He was raised from the dead. And just as they were talking about this, Jesus was there standing with them. And he says, peace be with you, which was probably the rightful thing to say, because I can only imagine that peace was the last thing they felt when he showed up. He says, peace be with you. And there he stands right in the middle of them. the whole group was startled and frightened. They thought they were seeing a ghost. He says, why are you scared? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? He says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me and make sure I'm not a ghost. And you understand, you didn't touch dead people in the Jewish culture. That made you unclean. But he says, touch me, I'm very much alive. He's like, you'll see I'm not a ghost. I'm not a hologram. Ghosts don't have bodies like I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands. He showed them his feet. And still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And he says, when I was with you before, I told you everything that was written about me in the Old Testament and the prophets and in the Psalms. And I said, all these things have to happen. It was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed and the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And then there's this phrase that makes him our solution. There is forgiveness of sins to all who repent. This is what Jesus says. I died. I was buried, I've been raised from the dead, and now there's forgiveness available for your sins. I'm now the solution to your problem, to all who repent, to all who believe. And here's the better news, guys. God accepted his payment. God accepted his payment. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, God decided in advance to adopt you and me into his family. How? By bringing himself into relationship with us through Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he bought our freedom with the blood of Jesus and forgave our sins. That makes it such and so that Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and God said, I will, buy, I will accept Jesus' blood as payment for all sins forever. So he is our solution. So what does this mean? Well, one of the disciples in the room said it better than I ever could. One of the people who were there six weeks later got a second chance to redeem himself because he had blown it. He denied Jesus. Six weeks later, he gets another chance. He stands up in a window. We're talking about Peter. Stands up in a window on Pentecost, 50 days after this all takes place, and the streets are packed. And he gets up in the window, and he preaches the best gospel message ever in Acts chapter 2. He says... he. He said some pretty cool things. He says, people of Israel, listen, here's what he says. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and he pre, his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. 
with the help of the lawless Gentiles. I mean, he's not leaving anybody out of this. He says, you nailed him to the cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life because death could not keep Jesus in his grip. He said God would not leave Jesus among the dead or let his body rot in a grave. God raised him from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he's alive and exalted the place of highest honor. And the Father, just as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit. So let everyone in Israel know for certain God has made this Jesus you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So that brings us to the last part of the good news, the action. Because you see, it's not enough for us to just hear the good news, think about the good news, agree with the good news, talk about the good news on Easter and Christmas and walk around. There's an action that has to come along with this. In fact, the people, as soon as they heard Peter, they interrupted him and said, tell us what we have to do with this. What do we have to do with this? So there's an action here. There's two things that we must do, the Bible says. If you and I want to accept this payment on our behalf and have relationship with Jesus Christ, first we have to believe. We have to believe. You have to believe Jesus was exactly who he says he was, that he did exactly what he said he did, and that you and I are exactly who he says we are. That's what you have to believe. You don't have to know a ton of Bible verses yet. You don't have to go to church every other week. You don't have to know all the worship songs. You don't have to volunteer in a ministry. You don't have to go around giving a lot of money to the poor. Those are all good things to do. Those won't save you. You must believe Jesus is exactly who he says he was, that he did what he said that he would do, and that you and I are exactly who the Bible says that we are. Acts 16.31 says this, believe in the Lord Jesus, believe, believe. There's a difference between knowing and believing. A lot of times you start with believing and you get to knowing. You have to believe. That means it takes an element of faith on your part. That means there might be another side to the argument that pushes up heavily against what you want to believe. You have to choose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't say, and you might be saved. It says, and you will be saved. It's that simple. It's not about doing a whole bunch of other stuff. It's not about agreeing to change a bunch of habits. It's not about putting the cigarettes and the rock and roll and everything else away. It's about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved along with everyone in your household. So first we have to believe. We have to believe that he was exactly who he says he was. That he lived a sinless life that I should have lived. And he died the death that I deserved. That's really the gospel. Jesus lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I should have died. So he could pay the debt I could never repay. That's as simple as we can make it. You have to believe that. But then there's a second part to this. Then we have to repent. We have to repent. When Peter got done preaching, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that his words pierced the hearts. Maybe the same way that your heart's being pierced this morning. His word pierced the hearts of the people who heard him. And they said to the other apostles, brothers, what what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Romans Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. By believing in your heart, you're now made right with God because, you see, we're not right with God until we believe in our heart. Then we're made right with God, and with our, confessing with our mouth, we're saved. It's that simple. Friend, if you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, you just have to believe he is who he says that he was. 
that he lived the life you should have lived, that he died the death that you should have died, and that he paid the debt that you could never pay. You have to believe it, but you also have to be willing to come to God and say, I am guilty as charged. Because you can't accept him until you accept who you are first. You have to come to him knowing that I am guilty, I broke your law, I make no excuse, I know I owe you, and I can't pay it off. But I accept what this man did for me, and I would like to present to you the sacrifice that he made. And I would like to present to you his payment. And I will tell you, the great judge, God the Father, will accept, has accepted, and will always accept his son's blood as payment for your sin. And the moment that you present that to him, things change forever. There are amazing benefits to being saved. Amazing benefits. The Bible says things like there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know what that means? That means you don't have to walk around knowing you broke the law and feeling guilty about it. That's what it means. The moment he changes you, God washes over all those sins. You don't have to walk around thinking, yeah, but I used to be and I used to be. All your friends will remind you who you used to be. They do it to me too. They walk around. They say, well, aren't you the guy who was part of this scandal or this happened to you and you fell off the map and you were in recovery programs and blah, blah. Yeah, that's who I was. That's not who I am anymore. That's who I was. Those are the facts. That's exactly who I was. But I believe what the Bible also says that any man who's found in Christ is a new creation. He's a new creature. The old is gone and the new lives. That's another benefit. I don't want to be the, just a better version of who I used to be. I want to be the me that God wants me to be. And I can only get there through relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't have to walk around with those things anymore. So it brings us to my two closing questions I want to leave you with this morning. The first question is simply this. Who do you think Jesus really is? Everybody, who do you think he is? Who do you really think that he is? The great theologian Bono. (laughs) You know, I didn't say anything to get emails yet. This will get me some emails. Look, if you looked into my, my, my life long enough, you'd find a bunch of things you don't agree with. You could look into Bono's life and find stances you might not agree with. But there's something he said that I stuck in my mind. He was being badgered pretty heavily by a guy about his relationship with Jesus Christ. And I watched the interview that he did with this guy. The guy said, who is Jesus? And Bono said this, and it's, it's absolutely the truth. Jesus is only one of two things. He's either exactly who he says he is, or he's a complete lunatic. Think about it. History doesn't debate that Jesus existed. History doesn't debate it. People who, who contemporaries of the writers of Scripture, Josephus and other people who didn't believe he was the Messiah, corroborate that he, was, he lived. You can go back through Roman records and see when Jesus died and how he died. It's a, those are all facts. The debate in history is who was he, not, what, not whether he was, but who he was. Here's what Bono says. He's either exactly who he says he was, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, or he was the most psychologically deranged person in recorded history because he was convinced that's who he was. Think about it. Jesus was absolutely convinced he was the Son of God. He went around doing miracles. He went around doing great things. He was willing to let himself be crucified because he was convinced he was the Son of God, the Messiah. So he was either the most psychologically confused, he's the most tragic figure in history if he wasn't the Son of God because he went to death thinking that he was and that he was dying for you and for me. So you have to put him in one of two categories. He's either exactly who he says he was or he was a lunatic. A lunatic at best, a liar at worst. There is no other answer. That's where I land on things. Thanks for a little help from Bono. (laughs) So who do you think he really is? 
You don't have to take my answer. In fact, you can't take my answer. You have to come up with your own. You can't borrow mine. Who do you think he really is? The second question is this one. <laughs> now that you've decided who you think he really is, <laughs> what's the appropriate response to your answer? I think he's the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah, the King. Okay, then what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with that? Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. I want to give you just another moment to think about that. I'm going to invite you just a moment here. We're going to put a clip up on the screen from the movie The Son of God. It's just going to give you a, a brief moment to reflect on who Jesus is. I'm going to come back and give you an opportunity to accept him into your life. I want you to just look over the clip. It's about two minutes long. There's a Christmassy song in the background, Oh Holy Night. It doesn't have to be just for Christmas. Those of us that come to church on Christmas and Easter, this will be familiar. Last time we were together, you heard it probably. <laughs> That's okay. I'm glad you're here. But I want you to take a look over this, and I want you to just answer that question. Who do you think that Jesus really is, and what should you do about that answer? Then I'll come back and close with prayer. Go ahead and roll that video. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. ask you one more time. Who do you say that Jesus really is to you? You know, who he wants you to see him as, as your savior, as your solution, as your king, as the one who valued you enough to exchange his life to solve an otherwise unsolvable problem for us. And all that he asks of us, the invitation is if you, we will just simply believe in him and repent from the way that we used to live, he will come in and he'll give us new life. He'll erase condemnation. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, to make us clean from everything that makes us unrighteous. There's no other way. 
And friend, I have to tell you, without any contradiction, without anything divided in my heart, this morning, Easter Sunday service is not about us trying to grow our church. It's not about us trying to count a whole bunch of numbers and slap high fives and those kinds of things. That's not our motive at all. The whole reason about today is just to present to you Jesus Christ, exactly as he says that he was, exactly as the Bible presents him to be, and to give you a chance to exchange the life that you have now for the life that he wants to give for you so that you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if you died today, that you'd go to heaven, so that you wouldn't have to worry about whether you'd spend eternity in heaven or hell because we'll be in one of those two places. The glorious invitation he makes is if we just believe Pastor, I'm having a hard time believing you don't know about my past. You don't know about all my issues. There's a beautiful character in the Bible I wish could come and talk to you this morning. This man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, but please help me in my unbelief. In other words, he said to me, there is part of me that really believes, but there's part of me that doubts and I need help. That means in a lot of us, both of those things exist at the same time. The beautiful thing is Jesus says, if you have belief, if you have faith, even a small of a grain of mustard seed, you can do great things. We might not be able to erase all of your doubt this morning, so don't push that pedal. Push the belief pedal today. (laughs) You don't have to lean on the doubt because there might be other times where you have some doubts. Those things don't knock God off the throne and they don't intimidate him. Do you believe that he is who he says that he is? Not that he's answered all your questions to your satisfaction. Do you believe he is who he says that he is? And will you turn from the way that you're living and accept the life that he has? Because the beautiful thing is that there's a way for those of us that already know Jesus. We have to keep answering that question every day. Who is Jesus to me? Because the Bible says this. If I claim to have relationship with Jesus, but I live in the darkness, I'm a liar. I'm a hypocrite. I want to appeal to those of you that know Jesus, but haven't been walking with him as closely as you once did. You know what the Bible says that we're supposed to do? It says if we have, want to have fellowship, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We can't continue to have fellowship with Jesus and have fellowship with darkness. Now, for some of us, we might have made a decision a long time ago or even more recently, and we've stopped exercising that decision. My question to you is, who do you think Jesus really is? And what should you be doing as a result of that answer that you've given? Maybe today is your day to come back to Jesus again and say, I just need you to forgive me. Because even after making a decision to follow you, I've also made a decision along the way to start doing my own thing again. And I don't want to keep that up. I just I I'm just confessing who I am to you and I need you to forgive me. What better day to do that in Easter Sunday? What better day to do that? That's that's what I invite you to this morning. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me as we just kind of. Take a moment to just examine our hearts. In fact, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I'll invite Invite our prayer team to come and maybe a couple of you on the prayer team could stand up towards the front and maybe some others of you down along the sides. Because after we're done praying, give you a moment. If you just have something going on in your life that we can pray with you about, we're here for that too. Here's the question. Who do you believe that Jesus really is? And with no... Nobody looking around in this private moment. I believe that there are many of us here this morning that say, I need a relationship with that Jesus. I am ready this morning. I'm ready this morning because I believe and I'm ready to repent. Friend, you have a problem that we all have, and that is sin. It separated us from God. But there is a solution whose name is Jesus Christ. And the pathway is simple. You just have to believe and we have to repent. Pastor, I'm ready to do that. Okay, here's the next step. You pray a prayer. 
just like this one. You have to pray it for you. I can't pray it for you on your behalf, but I can provide for you an example, a very simple example. And you right now in your seat, as I pray, you pray this prayer. In fact, I'll, I'll, pray, a few, I'll pray a phrase and then I'll pause for a moment. If you want to whisper that prayer after I pray it, that's fine. But here's what you say. You make it your own. You just say, dear Jesus, I am guilty. I have broken your laws. I've lived my life my own way. I accept that. But God, I come to you this morning. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Not based on anything that I've done. But because of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Please accept his payment on my behalf. Jesus, I invite you into my life to make me brand new. I repent from my way of living. And I choose to follow your way of living instead. In your name I pray. Amen. Now without, let's just, without any head being raised, without any eyes being open. Just as an act of acknowledgement before God, if you prayed that prayer for, for the first time this morning, would you be brave enough to just slip up a hand to God and say, that's me, I did that. Come on, all over this place. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, just slip your hand up real quick, put it up. Thank you. See hands going up, different places. Thank you. Anyone else this morning say, that's the first time. Thank you. Thank you. 